This episode has been brought to you by LimitlessMushrooms.com. For all your therapeutic psychedelic mushrooms, please go visit LimitlessMushrooms.com and use code QAH10 for a discount on all your products. Welcome to Queer at Heart. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Today on the show, we have one of my favorite people, uh, Lori Silvers, who is an activist, a, an author, and scholar in religious studies. She is now on her second book called The Jealous. The last uh, was called The Lover, which is a uh, second of this. So The Jealous is second of this Four, is it four book series? There'll be four book series, yeah. Okay. And the one she's currently um, talking about today is The Jealous. So these are the names of God, right? Yeah. And what I would like you to do, if you could please help me out, can you explain more about the titles and how, like the titles of God and how they relate to what um, you're trying to do in these books? Yeah, I mean, I want to, you know, like, First of all, every book series has to have a sort of a, a gimmicky kind of title that ties all that ties all four together. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, what's my gimmick? And I thought, well, the thing that I'm really trying to do here is I'm trying to uh, talk in these books through the through the a medium of a of a detective story set in 10th century Baghdad, talk about the relationship, the human relationship to the divine, and how. Uh, human beings exist in this world in this very complicated way through this relationship uh, with God, even through a character who doesn't believe in God uh, mm -hmm. as well, uh, and and talk uh, talk about about how people become themselves most fully uh, in mm -hmm. these in the in the struggles and contexts of of the grittiness of life. And I also wanted to talk about a, a kind of world that we don't often see. Typically when people write fiction about this period of time, they focus on the elite. So we have lots of oh, yes. stories set about harems, um, about very wealthy people, about great scholars uh, in those in those kinds of worlds. And I wanted to talk about the people who I studied who were great Sufis, but many of whom were quite poor and who came from uh, from the lower classes and from uh, other elements that I other other parts of of history that I'd studied at the time where we're talking about people who really are uh, not wealthy right. at, uh, at any turn <clears throat> right and I and so I wanted to bring that out so what is what are their lives like and how do and how do do their lives relate in this relationship this divine human relationship in the con and the murder mystery sort of gives you a really great uh way to explore that question i will say too even though i'm talking about these books as sort of this you know sort of ethical religious philosophical conversation that i'm having about about larger issues the first one was about trauma the second one is about uh, masculinity gender and control um mm. and even though i'm having these larger conversations they really do work as murder mysteries um nobody has ever been able to guess who did it i write very tight mysteries they are uh they are sort of slowly told they're not uh people talking about, uh, you know, talking about clues as they're running from an exploding car, which is sort of more typical. Mm -hmm. um, but if people want to explore this world, uh, they'll find a compelling mystery and, a, and compelling questions about what it means to be human. So, so my gimmick was this, this, these larger ethical questions, and that meant calling the books by the different names of God. And each name of God, God has 99 names in Islam, as we know, the names are infinite, but you know, typically, and, and according to propriety, we say they're 99. And okay. these 99 names, they range from everything from the merciful and the compassionate to the, you know, the compelling the terrible and punishment, the avenger, the wrathful. So we have mm. all these beautiful, gorgeous names like the lover, uh, you know, that going, you know, running, running the full, the running the full gamut. And these names, when we talk in, in these, and these names tell us about how God interacts with the world. So when you look out in the world, there's a verse in the Quran that says, we'll show them our signs on the horizons and in their own souls until they know that we are the real. Mm -hmm. And so what this is talking about is when you look out in the world, you'll see these names reflected as signs in the world around us. And Got so it. when you see a kitten 
you know, being cared for by its mother, you see, you know, you see that sort of maternal side of God, you see the loving compassion, you see nourishment as that mother cat feeds its baby cat. You see all those names in the world. And, and so that's out in the horizons, but also in our own soul. And in our own souls, what it means in Islam to be uh, to be made in the image of God is to have these divine names within us as potential character traits. Yes, I was about to say that. We have to activate, mm. and we have to activate them in a balanced way, in a balanced, healthy, dignified way. We have to not misuse them, and this is the this is the trouble that human beings get into, is mm. that we have this capacity to use these names in all these different ways, um, and and we often do it quite badly. Mm. Uh, and so one of the things that I wanted to think through then is how are people manifesting these names, using these names, developing these names within themselves from, from a place of difficulty to a place of dignity and wholeness. Uh, obviously not all characters, uh, you know, end up in a place of dignity and wholeness, but my, my goal is to bring my main characters through that journey to the very end in the fourth, in the fourth book. Um, but one of the things I wanted to look at in, in the jealous in particular, and I'll get back to the name, the jealous, uh, in a second is how people, particular men, uh, how do they struggle with jealousy? Yeah. And it's that, yeah. It's how they struggle with jealousy and what does jealousy mean for them? How does jealousy work into a larger patriarchal system in which certain men have control over women, over enslaved people and other non-elite uh, and other non-elite men. So how do these elite men have control over, over others? And how is jealousy a part of that notion of control and what kind of trouble does it cause? And we're talking about this pertaining to the book. So you're going to tell us basically how these different male characters, uh, characters struggling with jealousy uh, in the book, how do they struggle with jealousy and what it means to be a man so this is so so this is it. I mean, I think I think one of the things that we've sort of inherited in in Islam is this idea of this kind of ideal masculinity in which right. men are in charge of others, and mm. that is their that is that is their God given role, uh, and it's a role that they have to take seriously. Mm. And uh, it's their job to protect. It's their job to nourish. It's their job mm. to 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 fulfill all these things. And it's actually fed by this notion of 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 jealousy so jealous jealousy for us is a very different thing from what they were talking about jealousy back then okay so jealousy back then had a positive connotation and there okay. are tons of uh poetry tons of things talking about jealousy in this extremely positive light and we think of jealousy as this thing that just destroys and wears you down oh, i'm jealous of this person and it's eating me alive kind of thing that would be more envy that would be more a way of sort of thinking envy for them when we think about what does it mean for god to be the jealous so one of the divine names not one of the 99 but one that was used a lot during this period of time is god is the jealous so what does that mean what does it mean for god to be jealous yeah. what it means is is that god loves us so much that god is jealous that we should worship anybody other than god that mm. we should do things that are not good for us. So now, you uh, know, I, what we really have to think about is, is now I want what's interesting, super okay, interesting please. about this, is that this looks really like an abusive marriage when we're talking. <laughs> when yeah, we're talking, that's why I want you to explain this to everybody okay. because everyone's listening really, like, what really, the hell? Really, really, really looks like an abusive marriage. <laughs> okay. So God. God loves you. God is here to protect you. God wants to create boundaries for what you can and cannot do so okay. that you can live the most dignified, healthy life that you possibly can. God knows better than you out of his, out of his jealousy to protect you and to make sure that, 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 uh, that you have a, that you have a good, healthy life and that you, you die in a good way and that you're good with other people. Uh, God does not like it when you look at things other than him, mm. uh, God, and, and that you might be punished for such a thing, mm. uh, for having your attention stray to something other than God. And this mm. is talked about in the context of, you know, of idol worship, let's mm -hmm. say. So, so, you know, we talk about this in a context. So now I've given the sort of, you know, the abusive marriage <laughs> sort of feel for that. You've softened but, it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but, but, the, but, you know, for them, it's, it's an idea. They're, what, they're, what they're thinking about is, and if I can put this in sort of a contemporary context, is 
uh, when if you are seeking out a path of of being in this sweet place with God, mm. being this sweet, intimate, loving relationship with God, uh, in that that brings you to the highest level of your own dignity, right? And you are drawn away from this complex, deep, abiding relationship with God by some stray, beautiful thing that passes by you. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, something that is something that's bad or negative for you. Okay. Uh, so let's just say it's uh, you know fast cars, money. Okay. Uh, you know, wine, women's song, kind of kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Whatever, whatever it is, yeah, that yeah. would be what it would be your weakness, and and your weakness in a way that it's bad for you and that it would harm you. God will correct you to bring you back. Okay. Into the fold, and that God doesn't want you to stray, and God will correct you to bring you back into the fold. And those corrections in a Sufi context, which is these books are are based in, in a Sufi context. In the Sufi context, that the language is actually that God may slap you. Okay. Right. So God okay. may slap you. So that slap may be that thing that you wanted um, does not give you leaves you empty. Okay. So the slap isn't necessary. Isn't necessarily like a physical slap. It may be that you, you did, you know, you you uh, sold out your brother in order to get some money so that you could buy that car you always wanted, and the car gives you nothing in the end. Got it. And that's the slap. The slap is the emptiness that you feel, in in opposed to the fullness that you would feel in God's care. So it's a slap to get you back on track, basically. It's a slap to get you back on track, but. Now, that's, so let's think about in the ideal context of a, of a, of a God who knows what God is up to, mm-hmm. and even though I'm using a masculine term, he, and it's, God is not gendered in Islam, you know, so it's like this sort of, this, we think God in this, in, in this extremely caring sort of way, mm-hmm. um, in the hands of men, mm-hmm. is not so nice. Right. So when men take this name on, which is now their character trait, mm-hmm. that they as, and how this, because one of the things I wanted to think about in these books is, and, and really particularly this, this happens in The Jealous, is how do men interpret the primary sources, the Quran and the Hadith and the culture around them? How do they take those sources and use them in order to heighten their right to jealousy over others. Mm-hmm. How do they heighten their sense that they are in control over others for others' best good? And we're not talking just about cishet men. We're talking about, it doesn't even have to be a, a heterosexual man. We're talking about elite men only. Got it. Because there are these other people with male bodies who are not actually even considered men one one okay. scholar of the period calls them not men meaning they don't they they may have male bodies but they actually don't meet the criteria of a man got it uh, because they don't have certain elite characteristics and these wow. elites are the ones who carry this burden of jealousy over others so like not you know Wow, that you know, that makes complete sense. Like, you no, know, there's all these other characteristics, like maybe not having enough money, not having enough to provide or whatever for yourself, for your family, for your children. And that is something they measured at that time. And still a lot, quite a, yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. You know, this is, this, this is the criteria to being a man. It really has nothing to do with your genitalia so, or what you look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. And I do have a character in the book, if I can just interrupt in one Please, second, yes. who's, who is a woman who has taken on this character trait as well. So I wanted to show that, that even though this was socially, uh, that this was you know, socially given to certain elite men, that it's also a character trait that, that a woman might take, that women and, and others might take on vis-a-vis those who are beneath them. So that this, okay. you know, jealousy sort of manifests itself in this very hierarchical way where one would have this character trait over, you know, and, and this kind of control over, over others. So I do have a female character in here who seeks control over others. Uh, okay. and, and we see how that turns out uh, for her and for the people who she tries to control. 
Okay. Now, is this going to be, is this what you're, is this going to be a part of what, no, what you're going to be reading us is yes. you're doing a reading with Nuri giving, so this is a character named Nuri. Yeah. Giving teen advice on how to be a man in the most recent book, The Jealous, correct? Yeah. And so okay. let me give a little background. So Nuri Please. is actually, so it's so one of the things I wanted to think about is that if jealousy is the sort of, is the core of this classical masculinity, what answer do I have for that in this ethical question I'm asking in the book? Uh, okay. What's the answer to this issue? And I wanted to pull an answer out of the period of time. I didn't want to give an answer from our period. I wanted to give an answer from that Which is period. appropriate. And so Nuri, who is a, a, one of the great Sufis of the period, he had this concept of, of it's called ithar, and it means self-sacrifice. And this okay. was the core of his practice. Uh, and so I took Nuri's concept of ithar uh, and what Nuri said about self-sacrifice, and I moved that into the conversation about what it could mean to be a man uh, in that context. So, in, so here, what we're seeing is teen, and teen uh, does not believe in God. This is the, the main character, Zaytuna. This is uh, her, this is her twin. Teen is a policeman. He is, uh, he is uh, investigating the crime. Okay. While he's investigating the crime, he is coming up against all the ways in which he has been brutal and wrong, in which he, his masculinity and the way in which he has had to be a policeman, be a brother, uh, play all these roles, take care of his mother, protect his mother, because his mother, Zaytuna and his mother was this glorious mystic who nevertheless put teen and Zaytuna into when they were children into these unsafe circumstances when she would go into into ecstasy and teen was forced to uh. sort of circle around when she was in ecstasy and protect her and Zaytuna from uh, from people who might attack them when the mother was in these states and so teen has been put into this very traumatic uh, situation from childhood onward in which he was in which he had to protect his mother and protect his and protect his sister uh, so he's so he's got a lot of trauma around protection as well um, so it's not so he, there's a lot going on with him for this and so I have various characters dealing with these with this character trait some who all of whom believe in God in, in different contexts but but teen because of his background with his mother you know just grew up having no I mean it's not that he doesn't believe in God it's just he's done he's you know done. he's like I've had enough I've dealt with enough. I've got no space for me with this. And there were atheists at that time. So it is actually uh, historically accurate to include somebody in the book uh, that didn't believe in God. And, and, but he grew up in the Sufi community. Okay. So here is this atheist guy who grew up with the Sufi community and who loves these great Sufis. And these Sufis have raised him with the wisdom, with Sufi wisdom, but secularized for him. So how do Sufi ethics work without, without a divine player? Uh, okay. And so they've tried to work with him with this over the years. Um, and so some of that tension is here. And at this moment, he, the, the reading that I'm about to give you, he's had to confront his brutality as a policeman uh, and, and towards his family. <clears throat> Um, in this in this way that has uh, uh, driven him to a, a really a, 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 a complete panic attack where he's he's really he's fallen to pieces and he goes running for the running for the water to the canal to just get some space you know when you're having a panic attack and you're closed in and you've got right. to just break out and so he's running for the canal and he runs he runs to the canal and he goes running down the hill to the canal and into the reed beds Okay. Okay. Just to get just to get some space. So that's where we're going to start. And this is where Nuri gives him advice. Yeah. So this is okay. where he runs into Nuri. Okay. All right. All right. So he's run down into this into this reed bed. Wait, uh, of, one oops. thing I want to ask you. Yeah. Teen being this person who doesn't believe in God, so he's not angry at anybody. He just fell out of it. He just like, okay, you know what? I'm fed up with life. But he's not angry at the people who are religious, who are safeies. From what no. I remember from reading the the first book. He's not angry at anybody. No, he's not angry with them. I mean, like in this one, we see how irritated he is when people interpret things religiously that should be interpreted rationally. Okay. You know, right. and, and he'll get into arguments with people about about those kinds of things. Um, you know, and and uh, anyway, yeah, which which are perfectly fair within the context, right? Yeah. You know, so and, and however you however you want to read it. Okay, so he's just run down, run down, run down the canal, and he's gotten to this, he's gotten to this reed bed, uh, and he says, here we go, okay, 
So the reeds were hard as wood, so late in the year, and sharp as knives when cut. He frantically tried to pull one of them from its bed, then pushed it away. The reeds opened up ahead of him onto a patch of tall grasses waving softly in the breeze. He saw a man sitting among them. Hundreds of birds flew out of the grass before him, breaking left and right into the sky, stunning him into stillness. He held his hand up to shield his eyes from the sun and watch them circle to the man. They tried to settle around him, but the man waved his arm, shooing them away. Then the man stood, towering over the grasses, and faced him. Teen, my son, you've come to visit me. Teen stepped back, grasping a long reed behind him to steady himself, the way a child holds the finger of his father. He was crying. Uncle Nuri. Nuri held his arms out to him. Come, come. The muck of the reed bed gave way to soft earth. Teen walked gently through the grasses, keenly aware that he was crushing them with every step. He fell to his knees before his uncle, the pain from his thigh shooting through his hip, the moist earth soaking through his pants. Nuri kneeled with him and took Teen into his arms. Teen shuddered and Nuri shuddered with him. Sorrow flowed through him like a wave. Then Nuri took a deep breath and Teen breathed with him until calm washed through him with every exhale. Finally, Teen let go of his uncle and sat back in the grasses. He wiped his face with the heel of his palm. Nuri said, I know about the enslaved girl. Teen was undone. Does everyone talk? Yes, Nuri added. You cannot save her. There's no one else but me to save her. Nuri frowned. God is her protector. Uncle Nuri, let's not do this. Do what? Nuri's voice took on an edge. Uncle, please. Say it. Her master raped her. Where was God? With her, Nuri said. And God was with her rapist too? It was a statement, not a question. He was used to this kind of talk from them, his mother, the aunts and uncles and Zaytuna. At least Sally had didn't bother him with it. Nuri knew how he was, that he couldn't stand it. Why was he doing this to him? You saw what became of him, said Nuri. Uncle Nuri, I don't want to show you any disrespect. Nuri tucked his head back. How could you disrespect me? God jealously guards those in his care. He punishes those who harm his beloveds, whether you believe it or not. He also pushes away those who try to elbow in, thinking they can take his place. Who are you to think that you can save anyone? You are doomed to failure in this protection business. You are his servant, nothing more. With the word doomed, team felt that had Team felt as though a hand had reached into his chest and held his heart, freezing him and spreading numbing fear throughout his body. He held perfectly still. If he made the wrong move, he was sure it would crush his heart between its fingers. You will play your part in bringing her to God's end, said Nuri. Teen said through the gripping fear, I can save her. Could you save your mother? The fingers loosened from around his heart and warmth slowly spread back through his body. He found his voice. I did at times. Nuri replied, not when you wanted to most. No, Teen's chest tightened again. You couldn't have, even if you had been there. Teen insisted, I might have, only if God had wanted it. Please, uncle, I don't want to argue with you. I love you. Nuri laughed and pulled at Teen's sleeve, saying, there's no argument here. The laugh flowed through Teen, pulling him back to his uncle's embrace. Teen lay down and stared at the clouds driven forward by a wind so high they could not feel it. The grasses around them bent this way and that from the swirling breeze off the canal. Nuri lay down beside him and recited a line of poetry. In my love of you, I have kept frequenting a place which bewilders those hearts that settle there. Teen listened but didn't know what he was supposed to understand by it. Nuri was a father to him, but Teen knew he was not a good son. Nuri had taught him to wrestle his temper down when he was just a boy. Nuri taught him that a man's strength was not in his anger, but in his generosity. Look at me, Teen thought. I've failed him, and he has never failed me. Nuri broke through his thoughts. I watched you as a child. You observed the crowd swirling around your mother like a master. You could feel them moving. You knew where trouble was rising, and you moved toward it. I know what you've had to do. I failed her, he said. Life or death meant nothing to your mother, only God. She held herself back around you and Zaytuna. She only drew away from you to be alone with God with no worry. The implication hurt. We were her worry. Yes, Nuri explained. 
She told me that she begged God to take her. He looked up, remembering. She told me that she begged, Oh, lover of the obedient, how much longer will you keep our cheeks in the dirt? Awaken us. But God gave you, you, too, and you too to her instead. Teen laughed bitterly. I thought it couldn't get worse. Listen, you had a, whole, you had a purpose in holding your, your mother here. God's purpose. You protected her, just not in the way you think. Nuri got up on one elbow and looked at him. Stop imagining that you know what it means to protect. Examine yourself and see what your purpose is in every moment. Teen said, so my purpose was to let her die on time. You did what you should. You left Baghdad to fight, to fight, on the empire, to fight for the empire when you should. Zaytuna needed to learn to walk on her own, and you became a brother to the empire for that. You became a husband and a father, if only for a time. You fought rightly for us. What pride could he take in being a Ghazi if he left his sister behind, if he could not protect his wife and child? What did being a frontier fighter do but put brutal form to the anger he carried with him every day? What nobility was there in it all if, he, if all that he'd done in the end was become police? So he'd become an accomplished killer and an oppressor of the people. Noted. Nuri touched Teen's arm. What is Ithar? Are we in school, uncle? Yes. Teen said impatiently, to think of others' needs before your own. Well, you know it all then. Teen felt it as the dismissal it was, and a panic rose up and bound his chest. He reached out for Nuri in desperation, holding Nuri's thin arm in his large hand. Nuri looked into Teen's eyes. A man is not the owner of anything in this world. The man who fashions himself one is a coward. He steals the rights of God for himself and wields God's names brutally to control what he believes is his. What is most men's jealous protection other than this? No one is more jealous than God. When this sort of man thinks of others' needs, it is only to serve his own. Teen's hand went slack, letting go of Nuri's arm. Is this what you think of me? I think that you've sacrificed yourself for others your whole life, but you believe that you know best what you should have done then and what you should do now. That makes you someone who thinks that he owns a bit of this world or should and tries to control it. So everything I've done, I've done for myself. As a boy, you wanted to save your mother and sister for yourself. You're no different now. Teen looked at him and said, I have been brutal. You have. How do I stop? Teen sat up. You will stop as you give up owning this and owning that. You will protect when you stop believing that you are the divine protector. Teen looked down, unable to face him. Nuri pushed his shoulder, ending the conversation. Teen, listen to me. There's a green grocer, a man with a ridiculous turban in Balki Square, just beyond the Thorn Bridge. Have you ever seen this man? Confused. Teen looked up. What? Find him, and you'll find your talisman maker. That's all. Wow. And then so, Nuri you... puts him on to the next clue. So you are really... Um, not sure why my screen did that. Okay. So you're like rethinking masculinity as being dominated by controlling others. And because teen really struggles with this as like, you know, as we can, as we just heard, because he's also expected to protect. And so how do we protect without controlling? I think, you know, for at this period of time, you know, if we use Nuri as the as the guide, and maybe this is useful for now, which is to not think about ourselves as, as owning others. Um, you know, within, within the Sufi context, one of the things that you're supposed to do is give up ownership of all things. Um, we have things on trust uh, that we have to care for. Is it a man's uh, job to protect? Yeah, but think think of it like this. You know, you have, you're if you ha if you have children, you're given those children in trust by yeah. God. Yeah. Um, but you don't own them. Right. So think about how parents raise their children who believe that they own their children. Right. Versus parents who raise their children, mm. their protection comes from having a a person placed into your trust who you care for. This is a different matter when you're when you're gardening, for instance, you have a, a plant in your trust and your job is to allow that plant to grow into itself perfectly. Uh, 
Okay, that's a beautiful analogy, actually, and that makes a lot of sense. Yes. You know, and so to, to help children to become themselves perfectly is to protect them. Mm-hmm. To help children come to understand their own dignity is to protect them, to help children understand uh, that they deserve what is good and to help them understand how to choose the good by teaching them how to develop their own judgment rather than making judgments for them. So letting, letting, yeah, exactly. So letting nature really in a way take its course. So, you know, don't do, do what you can and then let God do the rest. Kind in, of a, thing. In, a, in a way. Let yeah, it take its I mean, natural course. Like it's, yeah, I don't know. Well, you that's know what, what I'm hearing. It's like it's, yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I think, in, I think in a way that's true. It's just that you have to, the, a person has a, has an, every human being has a, has a natural course. Mm-hmm. And then, your job when you talk to your friends when you what, what, what do we do when we talk to each other if you were talking to me about a problem that you had hopefully right. i would not lecture you on what i think you should do mm-hmm. but that i would talk to you about trying to find help you find out what would bring you the greatest dignity in this context right asking the right the most, what would be the healthiest outcome for you in this context. And that would mean that I don't have ownership over, I am giving up ownership over your outcome. I'm giving up ownership for, over you as if I have a right over you. So Nuri's saying to teen, you don't have any rights over anybody. God is the mm-hmm. only one with rights. And that what human beings have done, we've been giving these character traits as, you know, in trust to us. And we think that they belong to us and not to God. And so, I think this jealousy is mine and it belongs to me. Therefore, I will use it how I will. Rather than looking at the way that God uses jealousy and God's jealousy is compassionate and caring. You know, God allows you to get that car and realize it's emptiness. God doesn't tell you not to buy the car. I mean, maybe God says, you know, yeah, cars aren't going to give you any, you know, like if you've got a kid, you say, you know, Cars aren't going to bring you any, aren't going to bring you any luck, but you know, here's the car, you help them buy the car. And in the end, you know, the kid realizes the car wasn't everything that they wanted. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to bring people in a, a bit more strong, you know, with, with stronger language. But in general, the idea is, is, is that care should care, meaning protection is care rather than protection is control. Okay. And, 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 and Nuri's sensitive to the fact that teen learned how to protect in a, in a context of trauma. So it's uh, not like teen okay. was wrong. It's yes. not like teen's been a bad person in nope. learning to protect this way. He, he was forced into this. But this is the situation for all of us. We're all forced into these situations given our life and our trauma. But now here we are and we have them. And so teens become this brutal man in this context and he now he's now falling in love with Sally with Saliha and Saliha will not be controlled I can't wait to get to this book because oh, yeah. this, it's you're, nice. you're giving away a bit to me no, right sorry, now I think it's okay to say that I think yeah. it's okay to say you're, that he's falling yeah. in love with Saliha I guess it was coming it was coming it was, right? it was, it was coming, coming right because I read, but, I read yeah but Go how ahead. does he love her without controlling her because you know it goes back to the question you know is it a man's job to protect all and I guess like in this context of the time it was yeah and they felt that responsibility and when you were even told at that time no you don't have enough of this or enough of that whatever it is at that time that measured being a man which i maybe you'll get into um of course i mean your your here here your your masculinity is at major risk here everything everything, well it's already at risk i mean it has been it's been taken away from you actually and every, mm-hmm. everything what comes down to in, in masculinity, and this is why I also created a, a female character who does the same, because it's, if we can think of masculinity, this, this kind of masculinity as a, as a, as a human trait that is um, uh, not helpful. I don't want to say all masculinity because there's healthy masculinities. For sure. But an unhealthy masculinity is a human trait. And I wanted a female character who does the same is that this is this, this kind of control has been given over to men, but that women also, also do this. And that you, you understand that your role to care is to, is to take ownership and control over other people. Mm. Um, and so, you know, 
so this is this is how uh, people who enslave others look at their slaves. This is how they're the, the, you know the people that they have in, excuse me people that they have enslaved. This is how uh, parents look at children. This is how husbands look at wives. Uh, this is how in the in the case of the of the book uh, this this woman who's a um, who's a soothsayer who's a talisman writer. Uh, how she uh, feels towards those who come to her for help in writing talismans, that she has some control over them when they come to ask for help. So what are these, these contexts? How does, what, is, what does Zaytuna have to think about, about how she tries to control her own life? So it also comes to what kind of control are you trying to have over yourself? And so you can actually be that jealous, that negatively jealous controller over your own self. Uh, and harm your own self within that context, but you own nothing. You do not own these other people. You do, you know, you do not have, you should not be seeking control over others. And so I was trying to sort of find a, a healthier way of talking about sort of classical Muslim masculinity. Uh, and Nuri gave it in this, in this way of talking about self-sacrifice and this, this principle that one should give up ownership of, of, of all things. Let me, can, can, can you give me a definition? I mean, sorry, what does it mean, the jealous in the Sufi context again? In the Sufi context, can you give me? So jealousy, jealousy in the Sufi context, even, you know, sheikhs these days, Sufi sheikhs don't even like to talk about it because everybody has such a negative connotation. So they won't even, they don't even want to talk about God's name, the jealous. Um, really? Yeah, they don't even want to talk about it because people react, well, what does it mean for God to be jealous? Because jealousy is just so... Uh, it's so difficult to see it, to see jealousy in a in a positive way, the way that it really was seen as a positive context in, in God. It really jealousy in God is understood to be care. Huh. In it's that time. In that time, in that period of time, it's understood to be care, that God cares for you so much and God wants the best for you and God wants, you know, God wants you to grow in a, in a healthy and dignified manner. God wants you to, obviously, because we're talking religion here, you know, God wants you to worship God, right? You mm -hmm. know, so God wants you to worship God and not worship other things, not things that draw you away from what is most real, uh, but draw you towards what is most real. Towards purity. Yeah. Basically, right? Purity, purity. Yeah, purity of purity of heart, but I don't want to. But purity is a difficult word too, because purity can can end up sort of, you know, we can talk about a purity of purpose and a purity of intention in the sense of I think dignity is a better word. Yeah. Um, of sort of instead of using because purity, we can you know we've all been beaten over the head with that word. We have. It's true. No, but it's a, it's it's like you know, jealous of you straying from the light, basically from yeah. the light yeah. from but it's going to keep you safe from your yeah. well-being, from anything that takes you away from your own life, thriving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Loving yourself, loving others, the ability to, you know, stay healthy mentally, physically, all these things. So yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense. But this is really hard to compute in the contemporary context. It is hard. Much, but very much a, a point of, of dis, you know, very much a, a point in this, in this period. And there are a lot of people. It's a different definition altogether, really. Yeah, but, there, but this idea of masculine jealousy continues on within the Muslim context to this day. Obviously, globally, it does. We have examples of this everywhere, right? In mm -hmm. every context. But in the Muslim context, it continues on. And I was, while I was writing the book, I was super surprised to see uh, people, you know, you know, hashtag Muslim Twitter, you know, seeing people on Muslim Twitter actually talking about jealousy and male jealousy in this very controlling way as mm. a positive. And so men talking how to, con how to cultivate control over others, totally misunderstanding what just divine jealousy was. What is divine jealousy? Yeah, so divine jealousy is care that is not controlling. Okay, so... If somebody is jealous, if, in that if, look, time, if God, time. if God, if divine jealousy were control, then there would be no free will. Because if okay. God wants what's best for us, if divine, if divine jealousy is divine care, and God wants what's best for us, yeah. then why would, if it were control, then why would God have made us free? God made us free so we could sort this stuff out for ourselves. 
So okay. we are entirely free so that we can figure these things out for ourselves. So God gave us this freedom to make mistakes, to learn from those mistakes, to listen, to err, to return, to go back, to sort all of this stuff out and to find our own dignity within this very, very difficult context. But people like to interpret it as control. But if it were control, there would actually be no free will. But so- Ah, okay. Right? So, yes. so people today, so men today think that their job is to relieve women of their free will mm. by controlling where they move, controlling who they see, controlling what they eat, controlling when they worship, controlling how they worship, what they believe, all these things. And I, you know, I mean, and I was like, my mind was blown when I saw all this stuff happening on Muslim Twitter and not just that weird alt-right section of Muslim Twitter, because there isn't like an alt-right section of Muslim Twitter, but like the sort of center of Muslim Twitter. So and, what do you think teens should be doing then? So, so, teen, teen, so, so, uh, so in the jealous, being jealous, yeah. how does that, should that manifest? How, how would somebody so who's thinking so jealousy in the divine sense, how would that manifest? There are a number of characters who have to deal with, with, with this question. Okay. Um, and some deal with it, some don't deal with it. Some okay. refuse to, um, uh, to, to look at it. The, the one character who's the talisman maker, um, in a way, she sort of stands in, it's okay for me to say this, she sort of stands in for the white feminist who thinks that she knows better for everybody uh, how to act and what to do. Um, and, and if there's something about a white feminist is that they want to have control okay. over, over everybody else and that they know better and they become very upset when you don't acknowledge that, that, that they know better and that they know how things should go. Uh, they want to be, at, they have this center post of wisdom on things. And so in a way she's sort of enacting of those things and she refuses to you know is she refuses to to acknowledge that in certain circumstances so how does this develop for her as she comes through and she does have this extraordinary wisdom and ability to see things that other people don't see okay. which gives her this sense that she knows better than others and has something to say and okay. she's a lovable wonderful character too okay. Which this is, is a new important. character? Yeah, this is a new character. Well, she was okay. introduced in the first book because I knew she was going to play a big part in that one. So I Who is she? Can you mention? Is okay yeah, her name's Tanshalpan. Tanshalpan, okay. And so she, she was introduced in the first one as a friend of Yilda's and then okay. shows up more and shows up uh, more here. Uh, there's a new doc, there's a new character because uh, Saliha has become a, a, a corpse washer. Okay. And, and so she's a corpse washer in the hospital. And so there's a, a young Christian doctor who is very much all about Saliha. And Saliha, who enjoys flirting more than anything ever <laughs> in the world, uh, you know, she's been really cultivating this flirtatious relationship with this, with this Christian doctor. And this Christian doctor really is the ideal of this kind of controlling masculine, oh. uh, you know, Arab kind of, at that time, Arab, I'm not yeah. like, doing this against Arabs, I'm saying at that time, this <laughs> okay. kind of, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all yeah. clear what I'm saying here. Um, at, that, at that time, you know, I was using, uh, you know, Arab poetry on jealousy to, yep. to actually create his character. Okay. So, um, and I wanted to show too by him, number one, most doctors were Christian or Jewish at that time. They weren't Muslim anyway. Mm -hmm. so, so to have a Christian, he had to be a Christian doctor anyway, but I also wanted to show that this wasn't just a Muslim thing as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so he, he wants to have control over Saliha. And when you see the kind of control he wants to have over Saliha, it's stuff that actually a lot of people on Muslim Twitter think is a good thing. He's like, look, I'm going to give her this. I'm going to give her that. She's going to be a queen. Hmm. And Saliha doesn't want to be anybody's queen. No. Right? So, so, so I wanted to, there, I'm sure there's, there's women who want that. Great. That's good. It's all consensual. Yay. But, you know, but, but for those for whom it's not consensual, for those for whom it's not healthy. Um, so she's flirtatious. You know, and she's flirtatious. She's wild. With many people, correct? I'm sorry? With many people. Yeah, I mean, I'm not showing her being, she, she can't be that flirtatious. She's carefully flirtatious. Oh, carefully flirtatious. Yeah, she's carefully flirtatious. Okay, so she's not, Saliha is like not the type of person who would want to be dating several people at a time, or she is that, well, that wouldn't That wouldn't work. If, if I could take one second to plug my light in, I lost, I lost my light. No problem, go ahead. This is Zoom. Everything's changed everything's, now. Everything's crazy. We're COVID days. Everything's nuts. Okay. Everything's so nuts. And, everything's nuts in yeah. COVID days. Yeah, so I mean, Saliha would not do, I mean, she might, but I mean, maybe she would. I don't know. You know, I'm such a prude. 
So well, I'm just wondering the this reason whole why, other person for me. The reason why I was asking that is because I wondered because there wasn't a whole lot there. She was in the book, the first book, quite a bit, but she was also the most flirtatious and very yeah. seemed very comfortable with flirtation and She's like really looking sexuality. guys in the eyes and just like you know. Yeah. And I was wondering, like you know, would she be considered? you know, what we might call ourselves nowadays, like a slut, which yeah, you did yeah, as a slut is, in those she, days. Yeah, there are plenty of people who think that Sammy you know? has a slut, for Because sure. to me, like, I was just excited to yeah, read she's it. Wonderful. I was excited to see that she was so, she was a wonderful yeah. woman and very flirtatious and just, it was beautiful to see that in the book. I love to yeah. see it. So, I mean, I think that's a real personality for her, right? And, yeah. for, and for lots of, for lots of women. I mean, a lot of women have responded to me about how much they love Sally and how much they see <laughs> I love, I love themselves Sally. <laughs> in her. Um, so, but I think, courage. you know, I mean, in, in, a, in a conservative social context, a woman who knows herself is a slut, right? Yeah. A woman, uh, yeah, yeah. Who knows her, a woman who knows her own mind and who knows her own mind about is men considered a slut. Uh, is considered a slut. So, so, you know, so I don't say she's, I don't think she is, but, but in a context she would be. And so that's actually one yeah, of the Yeah, I don't problems. think she is either, but I'm wondering if at that time she'd be considered that. Yeah. Because she knew herself, she's very comfortable with flirtation. And I was wondering, huh, would she be considered a slut at that time? So this so. is, you know, that's actually something that looms over the whole book. Yeah. Actually, is this is that is is Sally has personality going to get her into trouble? It looms over it looms over this whole book of, of you know and and into the third book which I'm writing now is is how is Sally has personality going to be managed within within a cultural context? How is she going to allow be allowed to be herself, uh, but also run up against these these very uh, real problems that a that a person like her a person like her would would face would would face i also have i have if there's any time i also have a section of please i was actually just sally going to ask the, you of of when you know so sally and teen of you know they've figured out that they're they dig each other and she has convinced him saliha and teen yeah yeah okay and and she has uh convinced him to include her in the investigation and allow her to come along to a brothel, okay, <laughs> to, <laughs> to ask questions. And if she's going okay. to dress up like a prostitute, um, you know. <laughs> Is she really? Is that what's yeah, going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, my God. Gonna dress, I'm so. so she's going to dress up like a prostitute yeah. and come with him to this brothel to ask questions. Um, <laughs> okay. So she sort of talked him into doing this. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he's. And he's really sort of, you know, he, you know, he's, he's torn between the need to sort of keep her out of trouble mm -hmm. uh, and the need to have her like, and to need to have her come with him, <laughs> you know, like wow. he's wanting to be with her mm -hmm. and the, and the idea that he's also walking her into, into a bit, into, you, into, into a bit of trouble. Can you do me a favor? Could you yeah. just hold your book up? Can, can yeah, you yeah, just yeah. see the beautiful covers of your book? Cause I have, you have that one. Yeah. And I have. This one, and I'm going to be getting that one. This is the lover, everybody. And that is the new one, The Jealous, which is on its way. I'm going to be reading that this coming week. And the third um, one is The Unseen, and the fourth one will be The Peace. The Unseen and The Peace. And when is The Unseen coming? So because of COVID, uh, you know, and my mom passed away in March, um, I've, it's been, you know. It's been hell <laughs> let's just say i've been getting a lot of a lot of words on the page um so it's going to be normally i would want to have a book out every april but okay. i think i think it'd be more realistic to say uh june or you know late late june for the unseen i think i'm about okay. two months behind on my writing all um, right so so we'll we'll see how that goes um so are you going to read us what are you reading us now so this is uh this is a section in which uh, she shows up. They have. They've. They've decided to meet in the marketplace. So okay. he was going to go. He, you know, to meet in the marketplace near where the brothel is. Now, a brothel back then, the name of a brothel was called the Naharia. So it was sort of the the daytime, sort of the, the daytime Naharia. place where you go. Naharia. That's where you go for your sort of daytime loving kind of thing. Okay. Um, and some of them acted <laughs> as, uh, you know, as as house of of you know of of gambling as well as prostitution and and other things. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, all right. 
do we have time for me to do this? Yes, of course. Okay, all right, I hope so. So you get a sense of some of the more fun stuff that happens in the book, because the book's a lot of fun too. It's it seems to like, be fun. It's not all just like heavy ethical questions about like, what's the nature of masculinity and gendered control? No, so, I'm... <laughs> No, I can't wait to get to this book. It's a, a, okay. I'm really excited about The Jealous. I really so am. I love the, the Lover. So I, I, I just, I figured. I the think jealous... you'll really enjoy this. Yeah. Sally, has, Sally has really, Sally had teen really sort of. I really looked forward to her. Like in the last, I was just looking forward to every, I was like, I hope she comes up again. I hope she's, I just look forward to her next action. And so, yeah, she's an exciting character. Yeah, okay. She's wonderful. That's... She's she's great. Yeah. So she's she's a big player in this one. <laughs> she's a player. Okay. And people and <laughs> people it. should know read it, people should know if they haven't started reading the book that teen is a uh, teen is is a is a uh, an abuser of alcohol. I haven't decided whether or not he's an alcoholic, uh, which actually has to do with how you would, you know, I mean, how am I going to deal with with which would actually change the way in which his character is portrayed. I think he's just an abuser of alcohol at this point. I, I'm not going to say he's an alcoholic right now. Okay. Not, I haven't given him any alcoholic traits. Okay. Uh, he does have, he, he self-medicates, I think is the best way okay. to put it, but he thinks of himself as a drunk. Okay. Um, teen looked down at the stool offered to him to sit at the tavern and shook his head. It was early yet, but they were serving. He decided against sitting in the tavern. She shouldn't think I'm a drunk. He thought, he looked down at the line of stalls nearby selling sliced fruit and unfermented juices. She knows you're drunk, he told himself. Making his way to the closest juice stall, he considered the only open stool. It was too short for him, sized for a woman or a child. He found a bit of wall and leaned against it, tired. He pulled himself off the wall so he wouldn't look tired to her. Then he leaned back against it, trying to look casual, one shoulder against the wall, one knee slightly bent, looking down. He got there early so she wouldn't have to bear up under men's looks and jibes for simply standing still for too long in the marketplace. God forbid she'd have a cough. She'd be taken as a prostitute, signaling her availability to passing men. What was he even thinking taking her with him to the Nahariya? He reminded himself that she was proud of doing as she likes, even at the risk to her reputation. <laughs> Teen didn't know what to do, caught between wanting to protect her and wanting her wildness. He looked at the men around him, what kind of man was he that he wanted this woman who would never accept a man's, a man's right over him? Look what became of mother. And then he wondered what his mother would think of Saliha. Impious Saliha. Mother would say something incomprehensible to her about God, taunt her openly, and love her fire. He pushed himself off the wall again, smoothed his robe, tugging it down where it had pulled out a bit around the leather waist strap for his dagger. His hand went up to adjust the blue and green turban he'd bought so that he wouldn't look like, to, like police, as Sally has suggested. There you are! He swung around at her voice behind him and ended up pushing his turban out of place. She was in a shabby wrap, pulled a little too tightly around the curves of her body, and tugged just so over her face so that nothing showed but one beautiful, heavily cold eye. She coughed lightly and said, Do you like my disguise? His face became hot. Suddenly, heat was all over him. Turban forgotten, he tugged at his robe, looked behind him for the too small stool and sat, sat down hard on it, legs wide, knees almost up to his ears, but at least hiding what she'd done to him. He looked up. Her eye was wide, then crinkled with a smile. She knew. She laughed, pleased with herself. It somehow made him feel more the man for her pride. How did she do that? She started... She started to reach for his turban to straighten it. He bent his head toward her to meet her touch, but it only made it worse for him, uh -huh. as if that were possible. When she finished, he lifted his head to meet her eye. She winked. I like your disguise as well. And she let the wrap fall away, showing herself to him. She was oh. smiling, her teeth parted. He thought he could hear her exhale. She waited before speaking, long enough that the hum of the marketplace fell away into the hum of his body. Then she broke the spell. She ticked her chin in the direction of his lap and said, how long do you think we're going to have to wait? Mm. He laughed from deep within himself, letting loose of what made everyone around them look over. She bent over. Oh, right there. The boy who served for the stall came over. Okay, keep going. Sorry. I almost lost you there. Okay, keep going. So, no, no, that's okay. So, well, maybe that's enough. 
the boy the boy comes over the boy the boy from the stall comes over and is basically like you need to leave as your prostitute and this guy's your john oh okay this is so um wow okay this is great i really look forward to, oh we're having some technical difficulties at this point uh is your internet back on yeah it's it's there you know it's it's you know it's weird it's it's all according to time after work as well and then zoom hours and oh that's right you it's know okay. we have the best internet connection we can get but it Me, is what it yeah is. yeah same here um okay so that was really beautiful and uh i look forward to reading uh the jealous thank you for reading that um, and for those of you who, uh, well, you should definitely be purchasing this book. Um, where can they get it? Where is this book available for everybody? It's, it's on Amazon. So on, it's in, on... Pap in paper paperback, it's available on Amazon. And if people do not use Amazon Facts, it's also on the academic edition of it is on, is on book.org. Um, it's a bit more expensive. This has to do with problems self-publishing I don't want it to be more expensive but there was no way for me to get onto bookshop.org that way except for that way well it, um, and the ebook is available on most platforms ebooks available on most platforms and it's worth every penny yeah, everybody Apple. so please go support this book please buy the lover as well buy the jealous freaking Lori's amazing Lori I've known you it's for a so really long time you. <laughs> you're awesome and I love listening to you read this um, and I want to remind everybody, by the way, Laurie's also co was co-founder of the the uh, the all-inclusive gender-affirming mosque. Um, I had to mention that. I just had to mention that because I've, you know, obviously since I moved to Toronto, I've been amazed by the fact that there has been an all-inclusive gender-affirming mosque at all. So I just wanted to mention that. How should we cap this interview off? You know, I think it's just been amazing for you to have me on and to talk about this. Always hit these really deep topics. I mean, if if somebody here is is going to tune in because they wanted to find out about my book, you know, they should listen to your other podcast because you you really you have you have this very empathetic way of interviewing people in which you get to these very deep topics. I mean, I think when we talked about the lover, it was extremely emotional, and and I've noticed it was that very emotional. Yeah, so many of your other podcasts, they're uh, they're they're deeply sensitive uh, and and caring. You know, it's really beautiful because um, for those who, you know, you don't have to be religious to buy Lori's book. So let's make that very clear. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be Muslim. You can be of any religion or, you know, that you, that you uh, subscribe to. What it does, I feel, what the lover gave me, it gave me a, a sense of um, hope and a sense of faith. Um, hope and a sense of faith and you know i got that through through your characters especially um as a tuna at near the end there like you just saw her kind of getting stronger and just really picking herself up and doing some you know some uh a few whatever rebellious things so i uh so i i quite enjoyed it so for everybody this this book really gives you uh a peek into Sufi life at that time. And that is really beautiful um, because the whole book is about the context of the time. So what, before we end this, what year was this again, you're writing? So, oh, so this is, this is in uh, 907. 907, all right. 907 well, CE. So you have a website. Your website is Lori. www.llsilvers.com. llsilvers.com. Yep. They could look you up. They can order the book from there as well. Yeah, there's has all the links. How do and, people get in touch with you? And through there, you have your contact. Yeah, there's a there's a contact there's a contact uh, link there um, that will that will come to me. And the the website has mainly the thing that's so, that's for me interesting about the website is that it has all the historical background of the books. So okay. if you want to see the these these books are actually historical accurate historically accurate to the period to 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 a high degree. Obviously, some of it's anachronistic, but for the most part. Um, and so the history that's used to that's used in the book, all of that is sort of laid out there, and all the conversations uh, you can find there as well. 
Yeah, and I and I feel like we'll almost have to do a second part to this because you know once I'm fully, I fully read and I'm fully immersed in the book, I'm gonna have some questions pertaining to queerness, um, okay. because I, and I think that, yeah, I think that 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 your books are just so interesting. You're really pushing the envelope here with your books, and I just love it. I well, love it. You just... open up good conversations. Yeah. You know? I mean, like I feel like the book, the books for me are about you know, like the books are about the past, but they're about how I feel like they're how. Uh, Muslims, you know, at least the Muslims that I'm aware of that we know, you know, how do we remember the past? How mm -hmm. do we mine the past for our own present? Uh, and so it's sort of my thinking through the past for myself, but also thinking through these ethical questions of, you know, when we're looking at the past, when we're looking, when we're looking at our Muslim past, what are we taking from it? And how are we taking it? And what does it say about who we are, what we choose mm -hmm. to take and what we don't choose to take? Uh, mm -hmm. And Zaytuna has some thoughts about that, which she expresses <laughs> to Mustafa uh, in the book. But this is, you know, but these are, the, these questions, they're not, they're not really, they're ultimately, the books are about the past. They are historically accurate. They're used in university classes for this reason. But at the same time, they're really about, about us and how we think about our histories and what our histories mean for us and how they create us for who we are. Mm -hmm. Well, I look forward to it. I really do. Um, it's well, winter's coming. So I mean, I winter's, uh, you know, it's the, this month, it starts for me this month, this is when I get into reading mode. And I'm sure it is with a lot of other people. Well, since COVID, people have been really getting into this whole um, routine of reading. Um, so thank you so much. You're incredible. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. Everybody go out and get the book. Thank you for tuning in. Ciao.